Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour One. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. Phone numbers, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we will go, we'll we'll be a little loose with phone calls today. How about it? Um, it, It's your day to help set the show. But out of the gate, got to talk about something specific that I don't want to talk about, but I got to talk about it. You might as well hear the audio for yourself. You know, it's like he had a really cool outfit and stuff, and he was a really good architect. And, uh, and so you're in love with the with the with the with the with the architect the, the the look of it. And he didn't kill six million Jews. That's just like factually incorrect. Uh, yes, Hitler killed six million Jews. And also, you're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I. I see, I, I see good things about Hitler also. The Jew, I love everyone, and Jewish people are not going to tell me, you can love, um, you know, us, and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts, and you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician. You can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good, and I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. Especially Hitler. Especially Hitler. One last one. I've said it, the most Nazi-like activities I've seen, um, and, and the Nazis, in my view, were thugs that shook people down to a lot of really bad things. But they did good things, too. We're going to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. Okay. We're, we're going to get to that. You get, I Kanye West went on Alex Jones's InfoWars broadcast and made Alex Jones sound like the sane person. He had uh, Alex Jones defending the idea that Nazis are bad as Kanye West claimed the Nazis are good and claimed that Hitler did lots of good things. Hitler did do one good thing. We should all praise Adolf Hitler for one thing. Adolf Hitler is the man who killed Adolf Hitler. That is the one singular accomplishment of Adolf Hitler's life that we should all be thankful for. He he not only ended his life, but his entire family line in a bunker in Berlin. That's it. That's the only nice thing you can say about Adolf Hitler, unless you're Kanye West. I have, for a number of years, played Kanye West music on this program. In particular, uh, my Good Friday program and my Christmas program have played music by Kanye West that is uh, explicitly Christian hymn, I'll Fly Away, one of my favorite Christian hymns. He had a very nice acapella version of it. It is a very nice version. You will not hear that anymore. I don't believe in cancel culture, and I don't think it is my place to tell my radio company they should stop playing his music, nor do I think it is my place to tell any radio company to not play his music, nor do I think it is my place to tell you to not play his music but it is my personal preference that I will not because if I play it over the air, it generates money for him. And I don't think he needs any more money. He is using his money to surround himself with grifters and syncophants who tell him he has his back and are keeping him from getting the mental health he needs. 
I do think if the radio companies of America, including my own, were to stop playing his music, it would maybe force his hand and force him to finally get the treatment that he so badly needs. The man is clearly having a mental health breakdown. You do not, at his stature, go on anywhere, let alone Alex Jones's program, and start singing the praises of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. Normal people do not do that. Normal people do not do that. He is undoubtedly setting up his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian, to get sole custody of their children in the process, and he's been glommed onto by grifters like Mayo Yiannopoulos and, and Ali uh, Alexander and Nick Fuentes, uh, deeply not good people. The number of rich people who get enablers around them is really something. So I, I went to a, a thing last night that I normally would not do. I have a friend of mine, uh, Jason Dees. He is a pastor in Atlanta at a new church called Christ Covenant. They recently moved into a building. This church started only a few years ago with about 35 people. It's now almost got 1,000 people. He's a brilliant um, Bible-believing, expository preaching pastor who has captured the minds of a lot of people in Atlanta. He's just a, a wonderful, decent human being and a great, great pastor. I listen to him online sometimes. He's really it just has a love for the Lord. And this group last night, it was he calls it the spotted cow. They do it a few times a year. This spotted cow event, uh, they allow young men, whether members of the church or not, to come in and they talk about a, a topic within scripture. And, and last night's topic was courage. And you eat a lot of barbecue. They had about 150 pounds of barbecue for the crowd. Uh, and you, you spend a few minutes with some pastors on stage who are talking about the topic, and then you break up. You go outside around fire pits, have some cigars, keep eating barbecue if you wanted, and, and you talk in small groups about this topic. And uh, one of the things that came up is how people oftentimes, so that they do not have to live courageous but can live by enablement, is to surround themselves with people who aren't an accountability group, but a commiseration group, an enablement group. Young men sometimes struggling with, with porn or addiction, they surround themselves with other people who have the same problems and they feed off of each other. Their, their vices become shared vices. There's no accountability. There's commiseration and participation. And oftentimes when you become famous to some degree, you get surrounded by people who want to enable you. We had that conversation last night. This was, was on the heels of the Kanye meltdown. It wasn't relevant to it per se, but I, I thought about that because I see that. I, I know that with people. I've seen that potential with myself as well, with people as as my stature has risen and I am nowhere near as rich or famous as, as someone like a Kanye West, but know the people who want to be my friends not because they wish to be my friends or have my best interest at heart but they think they can glum onto me for some level of benefit. When you're at his level with his money, you get worse people who wish to do worse things. I think of what was it, the Zappo CEO or whoever who ended his life being burned up in a fire or some such after being surrounded by a bunch of people who put him in a drug-addled haze and spent all of his money. And no one was in his circle of friends to say, you need help. 
about the only people in America who can help Kanye West are the radio companies of America should they decline to keep playing his music and deprive him of his residuals and royalties would probably force his hand to have to go get the help he so very clearly needs. He is not an evil person to my knowledge. I do not know him. I don't really know anyone around him, but I do know he is a celebrated artist of note and extremely talented and has descended to some level of bat crap crazy where he's on the most insane show in America praising Hitler to such a degree that even the most insane host of America is like, dude, stop it. That's not good. Kanye West needs help and prayer. You will note he converted pretty explicitly so to Christianity a while back. He found his faith, produced that gospel rap album that a bunch of Christians embraced. Uh, I, I assume these Christians will be rushing to delete that from their iPhones quicker than they did the Bethel music. One might hope. He needs help. And when you're surrounded by the people he's surrounded with, there's no way for him to get help without extraordinary action. There's no one who can intervene. He has the money to insulate himself, and honestly, about the only way to do it is to impact the revenue stream. I will not be playing his music on my program anymore. I don't want to contribute to an income from which he and his mental health can feed off of it to further deteriorate as others glum off of him. Yeah, I, I explicitly start my show today with this topic because it is rare these days, given how people do become so insular and surrounded, it is rare to actually see the public mental health meltdown of a famous celebrity and to see him surrounded by a bunch of really terrible people who are publicly emboldening him and do not have or possess the sense to know that they, if they wanted to glum off of him and, and, and let him continue to deteriorate, do it in private in a way that will not be seen by the world. But these people are all media hounds. They want to be in front of the camera. They want to be stars. They want to be notorious, and they're happy to build him up to a point of notoriety that tears him down, ruins his world, all for their five more seconds of fame in front of a camera. These are not friends. But it is very often the case when people are having these sorts of meltdowns, and Kanye West is apparently bipolar or some such, it is very often the case that the people who surround people like that, they make sure that those who really do want to help him don't get the help, aren't able to do the intervention, aren't able to help. He's not surrounded by an accountability group. He's surrounded by a bunch of enablers who benefit by his meltdown. They get on TV. They get talked about. No press is bad press for them. They want all the attention. I think about that group last night. I was at that, that Spotted Cow event at Christ Covenant in Atlanta. Um, all these guys, some of whom knew me, some of whom didn't, some of whom clearly recognized me across a room and didn't want to come bother me. Um, and 
how they all wanted to be there to hear a message and were willing to sit around a fire with people they had only just gotten to know and in share some moment, share some moment of truth. Everybody needs that. I've talked a lot about that, how we get so isolated as a society. We get so isolated as a people. We don't uh, get the help we need. We don't, we're not able to bear our souls in ways that make us vulnerable because we're afraid of the exploitation of that vulnerability. I totally understand that. It's why I have friends of mine come over on Sunday so we can live life together because we get so insulated. This is a, a guy, Kanye West, is who is going through a mental health deterioration in a clearly insulated way, who at some point had been surrounded by people who I know to be professing good, devout Christians. He probably needs to get those people back in his life and get out of his life, the Nick Fuentes's, Ali Alexander's, and, and Milo Yiannopoulos's of the world. But it's very hard to do that when they surround him and insulate him. They they tell him there's nothing wrong. They don't want him to get the help. I think at this point, the only way to get this man the help that he so clearly badly needs is for the streamers and the listeners and the radio stations to say, we can't be a part of this. You need help if we can't all draw the line at praising Adolf Hitler, what line can we ever draw with moral clarity? I don't like cancel culture because more often than not, the most radical, loudest, fringest voices want to redefine everything they hate as the second coming of the Nazis. So any conservative, any pro-lifer, any, anything they decide is, it's, it's just like the Nazis. And corporate America becomes so scared of the loudest voices, they bow and bend and cancel people who should not be canceled. And Kanye West doesn't need to be canceled. He needs to be helped. And the only way to help him, I think, though, is to turn off his music and not provide him any more platforms. And the platforms that will be provided for him now, I think we can see, are the ones who want to exploit him. This man needs a lot of prayer and a lot of help. It is not my place to tell anybody not to play his music or to tell any radio station or radio company to turn off his music and deprive him of the royalties. But on my show, I don't want to play a part in feeding the beast. He needs some help. This is deeply disturbing stuff. And yet it's worth starting the show about because when you take a man who clearly is a brilliant, celebrated artist and you define him by this and the people around him celebrate this, it's an exposure not just to a mental health breakdown that's plaguing way more people than him, but an exposure to the people who benefit by that breakdown who are condemnable and also expose the real need and the real hardness in getting people in situations like that the help they need, and yet they still need that help. The holidays are the most exciting time of the year, and if you want to enjoy them to the fullest, you need to get the best night's sleep ever, which is why you should be sleeping under bowl and branch sheets. They're made of the finest 100% organic cotton threads on earth. And I got to tell you, I was on my front porch the other night. I'm just going to go off the script they gave me and tell you, uh, I convinced a friend of mine through this ad you're hearing right now to buy them. 
And he said he and his wife got them, and she couldn't believe he paid for Bolin Branch sheets. They're not that expensive. He took advantage of the deal, but she's like, oh, sheets like this, they must be super expensive. They're not. And then she was like, really? That was after the first wash. Now they've had them for two years, and he says they are the softest sheets ever. Every wash, they get softer and softer. I'm telling you, he's a believer. And now his wife's like, can't we buy Bowling Branch for every bed in the house? And he's like, we can. And they're going to because they're the best sheets. So here now with Christmas, it's time to take advantage of this incredible deal. 25% off site-wide plus free shipping when you use the promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolinBranch.com. That's BolinBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. Promo code ERIC, offer ends December 4th. Like my friend, who's a preacher, yes, they get softer every wash. They're the best sheets you will own. BolinBranch.com, promo code ERIC, offer ends December 4th. Hello there, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. I'm happy to take your phone calls, 877-973-7425. And I do hope you will text the word data to 33777 and subscribe to the show notes, particularly with this runoff in Georgia. I'll spend some time talking about it today. I actually do have to talk about something. Um, It's Georgia and national uh, most of you know, I have a ton of listeners in Georgia, my flagship stations in Georgia. I get asked about, um, the Lieutenant governor in Georgia, Jeff Duncan, and what happened on CNN. Uh, I intentionally decided the other day not to play the clip and I got a bunch of people saying, why haven't you talked about it? So let, let me just talk about it. And, and I will play the clip for you here. This is from uh, Jeff Duncan's interview on CNN. He's the lieutenant governor in Georgia. So you told CNN in the fall that Walker didn't do enough to get your respect or your vote in November. Will you be voting for him next Tuesday? I showed up to vote this morning. I was one of those folks who got in line and spent about an hour waiting. And, uh, you know, it was the most disappointing ballot I've ever stared at in my entire life uh, since I started voting. You know, I had two candidates that I just couldn't couldn't find anything that, that made sense for me to put my, my vote behind. And so I walked out of that that ballot box, uh, showing up to vote, but not voting for either one of them. So you didn't vote. Okay. I I, I, I really actually like the lieutenant governor and, and don't like to be critical of people that I like a lot. And so I, I say this respectfully. When you complain about the unseriousness and performance artist antics of the GOP, And then you go stand in a line, you say, for an hour to vote for two people who you know are going to be on the ballot. You have no choice between those two candidates. And you get in, decide you can't do it, and rush to CNN. I don't think you're performing any differently than the people you've criticized because you knew going in who the two candidates were going to be, and you've been very explicit already. You couldn't vote for Herschel Walker, so why bother? By the way, a person familiar with the wait times at um, the various polling, early polling locations in uh, Forsyth County say that the longest wait time was 20 minutes at 1 p.m. on the 30th at Hampton Park Library. Um 
There were 110 voters in line at 9 a.m. at Sharon Springs Park, but they processed them fairly quickly depending on when you showed up. Um, I guess you could have been there first thing in the morning. I just, y'all, this this rubs me the wrong way in large part because uh, the Lieutenant Governor George has been above the the um, showmanship politics and been critical of it. So to go stand in line for an hour, he says, and then rush to CNN to say, I got all the way through the line and got to the ballot and couldn't do it when you knew who the people were on the ballot just strikes me as you're letting those people you've criticized radicalize you and control your behavior. And if you want the party to do better, you got to do better yourself and not do stunts like this to get on TV to complain about it. Let's pause and just talk about what's going on in the country for a moment. We got sky-high inflation. We got runaway government spending. Trust in Washington is completely eroded. When government is this dysfunctional, you got to change the course of the country. You know you have to. That's why I'm excited about the work Americans for Prosperity is doing. They're focused on policy solutions that actually improve people's lives, unlike so many in D.C. who just want to play political football and have power. Americas for Prosperity doesn't just come up with solutions. They act on those solutions. They have the largest network of community activists in the country. They are out there every day talking to millions of their fellow Americans. If you're interested in seeing how you can get started with Americans for Prosperity in your community, visit americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. That's americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Hello there, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Bob, you're going to be up first. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Hi there. This is, this is Bob calling. I, I just, I agree with you 100% on the, the extermination, uh, you know, attempts at the Jews and Hitler, so what he is, but is this not a symptom of a larger societal problem where down is up and up is down the old bizarro world scenario where men can be women and women can be men and transgenderism is accepted? Oh, I uh, think the sixteen nineteen this... project, the revisionist history uh, that's yeah. been going on now for for the last several years. Oh, I, Thank I you think for taking it my call. All has to do, yeah, Bob. Listen, I, I, I there is. There is something happening in society, and at a theological level, I, I definitely think it's something dark. Scripture says we, we, we battle the things unseen. What I really think it is, is we're seeing old things, dark things come to life again as Western society moves beyond Christianity. Uh paganism comes back and part of paganism is is there's clear issue with with the mental collapse and it starts frankly with the collapse of truth if you believe uh god almighty is truth and society begins to reject god almighty then society is rejecting truth over time and this spills over and has collapsing effects even into mental health you know, Bob, it's Bob's fault, people. I wasn't going to go there, but I am because of Bob. So at a theological level, what explains all the bad things, the cancer, the mental health, everything else? Uh, it's sin. In uh, Before the fall, the world was out these things. Uh, sin itself has twisted. One of the most fascinating things that I think is really missed by people, if you read 
the Old Testament, particularly the story of Noah, is when you read Genesis 1, there is an order and a flow to the world that also comes with an order and a flow to the water itself. Uh, the water comes down and then it is locked in chambers. There is water above. It's put into chambers above. Uh, some people read it as outside uh, the planet's atmosphere. Most read it as outside the universe itself. Um, but there, there's an actual order of, of creation. And when you read Noah's account, sin has become so pervasive into everything. Sin itself is in the ground and in all living organisms. Sin has just polluted everything. Man's sin has polluted everything. And so when God decides to wipe out creation and start over, when the waters come out and the world is created, if you read the account of Noah, it is exactly the reverse of the creation account. The waters from the ground come up. The waters from the air come down. Everything happens in reverse as, as the chaos consumes the world, consumes the world. And Noah and his family are left alive, but what is Noah? Still a sinner. His whole family, still sinners. Uh, Noah is is credited in the Bible with the invention of wine and gets drunk, and, and there are the fallout from sin with this family there, and sin comes back into the world, but this time God's going to deal with it in a different way. But the sin affects the mind, the sin affects the body, the sin affects the planet. Uh, that is, in Christian theology, sin accounts for all illness and sickness and uh, everything in the world, not your sin in particular, but sin itself pervasively polluting the planet. And to take it a step further, and I have to be real careful here, and I need to caveat with this. I'm not criticizing you if you have tattoos. My wife has several. In fact, she got one this weekend. But when you read the Old Testament, and you read the Levitical laws. There are laws regarding morality. There are laws regarding the state. And there are laws regarding the ceremony, the cleanliness laws. A lot of those have to do with the ceremonial aspect of being part of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. And a lot of those laws are to separate the Israelites to make them stand out from everyone else. And so when you read some of the laws of the Old Testament and you understand that those laws were designed at the time beyond the moral law, the ceremonial behavioral laws on clothing and things like that were designed to set the Israelites apart to say, these are my people. And one of those was a prohibition on tattoos, which suggests the pagan culture around them were filled with people with tattoos. And in fact, archaeologically, we know a lot of the people outside of the Israelite community, the Jewish community, had tattoos for ritualistic purposes. It was pervasive even on the other side of the world in Aztec Inca culture, pervasiveness of, of tattoos. It was the Jewish people alone set apart who did not do that. And it was not a, a, not a prohibition on God doesn't like tattoos. At the time, it was a prohibition on these are my people and here's one of the signifiers of them. They don't look like everyone else. 
you fast forward to the new covenant and the ceremonial laws and the state laws go away, the moral law remains. And the prohibition on tattoos goes away according to Christian belief. And what's so interesting is for a very long time, a lot of Christians still did not get tattoos. It became a thing really into the 19th, 20th, and now 21st century, where you're hard pressed to find in a hipster church a pastor who doesn't have a sleeve of tattoos. Uh, overwhelmingly, it, it's almost like the people who, who don't have tattoos now are in the minority. A growing number of people have tattoos. And again, this isn't to condemn people who have tattoos. This is to note that in our culture today, it looks a lot like the non-Jewish culture surrounding the Jews where a lot of these things were different. And what sets Christians apart now from everything else is the moral law. And it's the behavior of the Christian that sets himself apart, not the physical attributes of the Christian who sets himself apart. The Christian can look exactly like the culture, but behaves in a way so different from the culture that that makes the Christian stand out. They're not litigious. They're supposed to be humble. They're supposed to love their neighbor. They're supposed to do to others as they want to be done. Uh, and a lot of Christians, frankly, fall short on this, particularly the more active they get in politics right now. A lot of Christians are the brain biblical donkeys, just like culture. It's really hard to set apart the Christian to see the Christian love. I was actually, so I mentioned this event last night, um, the Spotted Cow event at Christ Covenant in Atlanta. And one of the pastors who spoke had been an um, Auburn football star, went to the NFL, was injured, wound up becoming a drug dealer, going to prison for some time, for four or five years. And he talked about in prison, he was a Muslim, and he saw this guy who just completely stood out. Now, the pastor is black, this guy was white. And he, in prison, the racist did not mix and yet here was this white guy who behaved in such a way that you could tell this is a Christian. He stood out in his behaviors, not in his looks, they're all in prison together, but he stood out in his behaviors and at some point crossed racial lines in prison towards the end of this pastor's day, uh, laid hands on this Muslim prisoner, prayed, and, and it, it, this pastor says he just, he was immediately changed. It was like lightning striking. He completely felt overwhelmed and became a Christian and now pastors a church in Sandy Springs and in Georgia. It's a behavioral separation. But as society has moved beyond Christianity, I actually think what we're seeing is this creeping in of paganism, but not just the creeping in of the things seen, also the things unseen. There is a rise of mental health problems. There is a decline in the embrace in truth. There is a rise in violence, a rise in abortion, a rise in, in uh, sexual immorality, a rise in all of the things that were very clearly the things that existed in the Roman culture at the time that surrounded Christianity and the the church in, in the early church history was told to be a light in the world, to be salt and light in the world, to stand out in a way that culture looked at the behaviors of the Christians and said, we want to be like you. Do, do you know, for all the people who say abortion wasn't a thing until Roe v. Wade and Christians really didn't care, you know, abortion comes from the Roman word abori, which was a slang term for the, the, the Russian, did I say Russian, uh, Roman uh, dumps. It was Latin, the abori was Latin, and it came as a slang term used by the Romans for their trash heaps. Why? Because Roman citizens who had too many girls or just too many kids would go dump their children at the abori, at the trash heap. 
And one of the things that set the Christians apart and also led to Christian persecution was those Christians would go out to the trash heaps and take those children home with them and raise them as their own and grow the Christian families. They were absolutely countercultural to Rome. In fact, Christianity tends to be countercultural, even when it's dominant within the culture. As a culture, Christian behavior itself tends to be somewhat countercultural. Bob, you've really sent me off on a tangent. This is your fault, but stick with me. You know, in Scripture, it talks about don't be litigious. Don't sue each other. Do you know why that is? Because in Rome, the chief entertainment was very much the chief entertainment of our times. We watch Judge Judy. We used to watch Judge Wapner when I was a kid, the people's court. The litigiousness of society was spectacle in the Roman Empire. People would sue each other all the time just for sport. And so you people would go to court in public forum, public fora, to watch the litigation and to hear the, the orators and to see the idiots suing each other. And the Christians were told not to do that is a way to set themselves apart from the surrounding culture. I also think it's very interesting that along with the rise of tattoos, we're seeing the rise of things like UFC. Just like the Romans and the pagan Romans had the gladiatorial fights, our culture has UFC and boxing and wrestling and things like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with them per se. I don't think there's anything immoral about them per se. But I do think it's interesting that as our society moves beyond a Christian culture, we see the rise of things like UFC and everybody wants to go to the matches. Everybody wants to watch pay-per-view. It's the same way in the Roman times. And the Christians were called to set themselves apart from culture. And one of the things of that culture was Christians had a real embrace of things that they believe were actually true. There wasn't an argument about the truth. And as that fades away, as our society moves not, not to something new, but to something very old, something pre-Christian, we see a collapse of morality. We see a collapse of sexual modesty. We see a rise of mental health. It makes you wonder about the, the exorcisms and the possessions and the antics of people uh, thousands of years ago that you read about documented in history where it was that a, a rise of mental health issues just like we're seeing today. The, the rise of transgenderism. You can't speak truth within sexuality to how the world is supposed to be ordered that we as people who say we believe in science, you look at a biological order that whether it's natural or God made of, of animals having a male sex and a female sex, and we ourselves now decide we can pick between the two and surgically alter our bodies to become what we cannot become in ways that deviate nature, natural selection, evolution, and faith. And yet when you call it out, you get canceled. There's clearly something run amok in society. And I would tell you, if you are a person of faith, you should think very deliberately about what I've been saying. Because one way to improve your society is not just love my neighbor, seek the welfare of the city in which I live, for there you'll find your welfare. It is to set yourself apart and behave in such a way that is so generous to others, it makes those in this collapsing pagan world look to you and want to know, why does this person have a joy I don't have? Why does this person have a peace in terrible times that I don't possess? What is it about them 
that makes them stand out in such a way that I am drawn to them, just like this pastor last night talked about, the the man in, in the prison with him. And that, to some degree, can help our society in a way that showing up and voting, picking a, a political team and championing their cause actually can matter way more. Our joy and peace in life and how we deal with others in a society that is clearly overall losing its mind and drawing others into losing their minds. We have a national and international mental health phenomenon right now. And I personally think at a spiritual level, so much of this is all tied together. And you as just an individual, what can you do to fix it? It's to be a loving person and to be relational and transparent, not transactional with other people. That actually will go a long way. I said this before, I will say it again. We, all of us, watch these science fiction shows, these scenarios of time travel, and we they're all premised on, I can't go to the past and take even a small action that could ultimately detrimentally change the future. That That's one of the premises of these time travel series of, I may go back to the past and accidentally do some small thing that has massive echoes into the future. What about here in the present, the small action you're doing or not doing that could ripple into into the future and make a dramatic difference in the future? And I would submit to you one of those small acts you could do today to improve the future is to just simply love your neighbor. Americans for Prosperity is helping you get out there and become a better conservative activist, and I hope you'll consider taking them up on their offer to let you join their local chapters around the country or help them start them. If you're a committed conservative and you want to be a better conservative activist, you want the details and the data that actually help you make your arguments, AFP wants to help you do that even more. You can go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric, americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You can find your local chapter and join them. I'm a fellow and an, uh, on their board of advisors for AFP. Dearly love this organization. They have not gone wobbly in their commitment to free markets and free people. They have long been committed to free markets and free people. And if you are committed to free markets and free people like they are, you'd be a good fit for the organization. You should go check them out. They've got chapters all around the country. Uh, I'm going to one of their events in in February. They're helping uh, raise up new Republican members of Congress and and explain to them why advocating for free markets and free people are great ideas. You can too. Go to americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, If you text the word data to 33777, you can sign up for my daily show notes. And in particular, you get a 15% discount uh, from people who just generally sign up since you're one of my radio listeners. And I got to tell you, here out of the gate, uh, Philip has been suggesting that I do a write-up on the Georgia runoff for everybody and, and make it for paid subscribers only as a way to incentivize more people to subscribe to get that information. And I thought about it. I haven't told him this yet. So I'm telling him now he's got to listen to the show anyway. It's part of his job or he gets fired. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to do it. And here's why. I have no freaking clue what's happening and no one else does either. The uh, data shows that overwhelmingly older voters are turning out than younger voters. Uh, actually disproportionately so compared to prior runoffs, which is good for Herschel Walker. 
The data also shows there's a higher non-white turnout than in the prior runoffs, and that's good for Raphael Warnock. And both Democrats and Republicans I've talked to are kind of stunned at the level of turnout. So there is no way to interpret it. Republicans think it's good for them. Democrats think it's good for them. Both sides think that. My gut tells me Warnock has a better turnout operation within urban and suburban areas. And if Herschel Walker underperformed Brian Kemp by 9% of the general, it's hard for him to make it up now, but it is not impossible. Brian Kemp has a major, major turnout operation. He's handed over to Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans. It appears to be working. I've gotten three door knockers at my door for Herschel Walker in the past month. So I have no idea how to interpret this. I don't think we can interpret the early data. That's what screwed a lot of us up in the uh, general election this time anyway. So I don't know. Um, The polls are still very, very close. Every vote does really count.